go in the Word of God tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. title of the message tonight is, Come to Jesus Just As You Are. Come to Jesus Just As You Are. For Samuel chapter 22, reading the first two verses. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And so went his brothers and all his father's house, and so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Now because of Jesus' lineage, which was the lineage of David, you see that in the gospel. Jesus is often called David's greater son. Psalm 22 is one of David's great messianic psalms. It's a psalm that was very prophetic of the sufferings of Christ on the cross. It was a psalm that Jesus was particularly fond of, had memorized it. And on the cross, he quoted from that psalm, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You remember that. Now this incident in the life of David in 1 Samuel 22 gives us, if you will, uh, David as a type of Christ in this incident. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. David as a a type of Christ in this particular incident in his life. Saul, the rejected ruler, still clings to power over the land. God had long since rejected him from being ruler, but he did not want to give up his position of power and authority. David, who was the rightful ruler, is an exile. We see here that he is in the cave of Adullam because Saul wants to kill him. And Saul has made several attempts at killing him. And so he wants to destroy him, to keep him from what is rightfully his, and that is the kinship of the whole land. And so here is David. He's hidden away in the cave of Adullam near that old ancient city of Adullam. And while he's there, word gets out that that's where he is. And so we saw that his brethren, his brothers, his mom and his dad, and a good number of others, uh, 400 others that came with them. Later on, there's actually another 200 comes, making 600 in all. Now, this is an odd bunch. We saw there, we read, those who were distressed, those who were in debt, and those who were discontented. Now, could they be the ones to make up what would be one day the greatest army that Israel had ever known. Didn't look like it at that point. Now Saul, the rejected ruler, represents Satan. This is the spiritual application of what I want to say tonight. Saul, the rejected ruler, represents Satan, the prince of this world, who has been dethroned, who's been cast down, who's been disposed. You know, it seems like Satan, who was once called Lucifer, it seems like at one time in his early career, could we say, that he was a great archangel. 
according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, it gives a very vivid description of Lucifer, that being, the, uh, Ezekiel says, the anointed cherub that covers. And many theologians believe that that means he literally was one who covered the very throne of God. He was very close to the very throne of God. And if you read those two passages, you'll see he was someone of great beauty and great wisdom and great power. But now he has fallen in his pride. Uh, He tried to set himself even above God himself. And so he has fallen. And right now he is the evil one, the Bible calls him. The wicked one that this whole world is in the grip of. The Apostle Paul writing to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. But thank God he is the rejected one. Thank God he is the defeated one, the the deposed one. And it's David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the rightful ruler of this world. He's the one who has been chosen, anointed, and appointed. But, like David in her story, right now he is out of sight. Right now, in a sense, he's hidden away. And he's waiting for his coronation. He's waiting for that moment when he will return to the kingdom of this world, and it will become his kingdom, his rightful kingdom that he owns, that belongs to him. And the kings of this world, the Bible says, will acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of all lords, and they will crown him lord of all. That is going to happen. Nothing can stop it. The die is cast. It is absolutely sure and certain. So let's see those who came to David in this cave when he was hidden away. First of all, it says the distressed. That means in a straight place, in a confined place. It means hemmed in. The tyranny of Saul's rule had brought them great distress. Saul could be very vindictive and malicious. He could be extremely cruel and temperamental. In his pride and anger, he once slew a whole family of priests and went into the village where they lived and slew all of their family, hundreds of them, wiped out because he believed they were helping David, the one he was hounding. And so it shows you the nature of this man. He could be wicked. At times he would would go into a frenzy, into a rage, an, an uncontrollable rage, even earlier on, David, he, he lifted javelins and threw javelins at David and tried to pin him to the wall. The devil is a hard taskmaster. Rebellion against God's order always ends up in distress. They had been serving the wrong master, and they realize it. And now at the last, at least these 400 At the last, now they begin to realize and they turn to David. Whenever you realize that the ruler of this world is a hard taskmaster and he wants to destroy your life, there's only one you can turn to and that's David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. So they were distressed. The Bible tells us 
that there's going to be times of great distress that's coming upon this world. We can see signs of it, but it's going to get worse. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 21, just for a moment? In verse 7 of Luke 21, And so they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? He said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. Excuse me, for these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. And he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. We've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Uh, nation is ethnos, which is where we get ethnic from. So it's not just whole countries, but even ethnic groups within countries fighting against each other. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines with pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out, uh, it will turn out for you an occasion for testimony. Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And I will put some of you out to, some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls. It, it is a fact, it is a true fact that today, that the most persecuted people on the face of the earth today are the Jews and Christians. And that is not by accident. That's by design. And that's going to increase as these days continue. And then it goes on, verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity, seeing no way out, that means. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts filling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Hmm. You know what he says, believer, in the midst of all of this? He tells us not to worry and not to be afraid. We know these things are going to happen. He has promised them. He has prophesied them. And we see the rumblings of it even already in Romans chapter 8 in verse 35 Paul encourages 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Times of great distress are coming to this world. Men's heart filling them for fear. I believe that many will turn to the Lord in their distress and in their need. Notice it says not only those who were distressed, but those who were in debt. The burden was unbearable. The taxes the demands, the penalties imposed by Saul, and they had nothing to pay with. They got to the stage where they were in debt, continually under debt. Anybody who's ever been under financial debt knows the pressure, the stresses that that can cause. It's not what they say about marriages, until debt us do part. But there's another kind of a debt. Those who live under the kingdom of this world with its rejected ruler automatically comes under a debt which they can't pay. And the Bible speaks of this debt. It's a spiritual debt. In Galatians chapter 3, it mentions it very clearly. For as many as, on, as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We're going to see just in a moment, as we read these few scriptures, how that God's law, in the form of ten commands, are such a high standard that no one can keep them. What is the point of them? To remind us of God's high standard. To remind us what is sinful in God's sight. And to remind us when we break those laws, we have broken God's laws. And all of us has broken God's laws many, many times. So the law doesn't save us. The law exposes us. The law shows us to ourselves that we're sinful men and women and we break God's laws. That's the point of it. 
what do we do then if we're lawbreakers? Well, lawbreakers have got to be punished, haven't they? But God sent his son to pay the punishment for our law-breaking. He never broke God's law. Never once. But there's a penalty. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so Jesus came to pay that price of us breaking God's law so that we could go free. He took the price. He paid the price. He took the punishment. He paid the price. In Galatians 5, verse 3, And I testify again to every man who who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Now, James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us something about this, trying to keep the whole law. Verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in just one point, he is guilty of all. That's how high God's standard is. It's not a case of, well, (laughs) I'll do my best. I'll try my hardest. And sure, I know that I'm bound to fail at some point along the way and God understands it. No, he doesn't. He says, even if you kept all of the law and just stumbled at just one point, God will hold you guilty as if you broke all of it. Because it's a perfect standard which cannot be broken in God's sight. And if it is broken, then there's a penalty to be paid. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so this Law is an extremely high standard. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It points it out to us. Whenever we break the law, our conscience tells us we have broken the law. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as the propitiation, as a atoning sacrifice by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And then finally, Colossians 2. Finally, as far as this part is concerned. Colossians 2. Verse 1. 
verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, Note that, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Part of the law, as well as the Ten Commandments, was a ceremonial law. Before man could approach a holy God, he had to do it in a certain way, at certain times, with certain sacrifices. You just couldn't wander into the presence of God when you fancied had to come through priests. All right? So that had to be done. But that was a terrible weight upon people because often they didn't get it right. And they messed up. And even the sins of the whole nation, only once a year could the high priest go into the holiest of holies and atone for the sins of the nation. Just once a year, he could only do that. And all of those ordinances, all of those laws that they had to keep are all gone because now it's all by His grace. You know, the thing that requires God requires of us. We break this table. We come to the breaking of the bread every Sunday morning. God requires that. He's asked for that. We get water baptized. He requires that. He asks for that. That's all. That's all. It's not good. It's all by His grace. It's all by His mercy. Aren't you glad you haven't to make a sacrifice? You haven't to make a kill a sheep or a goat or a lamb before you go before God? Aren't you glad that somebody else hasn't to do? Pay for, you know, right. we, we don't have to confess our sins to anyone. We confess our sins to God. It's all by His grace and His mercy. Ten Commandments, by the way, first four were directed towards God. The next six were directed towards man. First four were vertical, the last six were horizontal. Jesus put the ten into two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. He narrowed it all down to that. Love God and love people. But these people were in debt and they had nothing to pay their debt with. And every day that they lived, their debts were getting greater and greater and greater. And every day that you and I live for the kingdom of this world, our debt becomes greater and greater and greater. But when you turn to David's greater son and you go to him and receive his mercy and his grace, then all of that debt you begin to realize has been paid at the cross. All of that debt that we could not pay, he took that and he paid it with his blood on the cross. Those who were distressed, those who were in debt, those who were discontented. 
That means angry, bitter, sighing heavily, miserable, restless, unhappy, fed up. Not a very good picture, is it? Living under Saul, but longing after David. Not a good place to be, sure it's not. kingdom they lived in was burdensome. Life was harsh. Saul was a tyrant. His reign over them was too much to bear. They yearned for a better life, for a better future, and they knew that only David could provide it. So it was make your mind up time. It was make your mind up time. What are they going to do? Are they going to continue to live under Saul and his reign? Are they going to go to David? And live under him. Well thank God. They took their stand. They made up their minds. They finally decided to throw their lot in with David. Even though he was in Adullam. Even though it was dangerous to do. Even though it was going to cost them something. Maybe their friends. Maybe protests. Maybe from family members. Maybe going to have to give up something. But they got to the point where they said. No matter what it costs. We're going to go with David. May not be the most popular thing to do at that time. Remember, there was only 400 did it at the start. Took a lot of guts to do it. But they said, no matter what it costs, we are going to turn and we're going to serve David. And Hebrews 13 talks about Christ. And the Bible says, was slain outside the camp. Criminals were slain outside the walls of Jerusalem. Christ was slain outside the camp. That camp of the ecclesiastical priests and Pharisees and Sadducees that rejected him, that put him on a cross. And then the writer of Hebrews says, let us go forth outside the camp Bearing his shame. And sometimes going outside the camp bearing his shame means sometimes breaking even from your very family. You may be the first one in your family to go and follow Christ. And they may scorn you for that. They may make fun of you. Some people, if you lived in another nation, and you were a Muslim, or you're a Buddhist, or a Hindu, they might kill you and think that it's an honor to do it. And so some may have to go outside their camp, outside their circle of friends, and take a stand for David, for Jesus. Some may have to go outside their family outside all of those group of people they work with or they go to school with and take a stand and say, I'm going to follow Christ. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it. Whether you laugh at me, whether you don't laugh at me. Whether you accept it or whether you don't, I'm going to follow Jesus. They took their stand. They acknowledged David as their rightful ruler. Can't serve two masters. There's only one Lord. And so they swore allegiance to David. 
And our allegiance as believers is sworn to Christ, isn't it? There used to be an old song years ago, I swear allegiance to the Lamb. It was a great song. And they changed kingdoms. Saul's kingdom could no longer hold them. It was no good anyway. It was a kingdom that was going to be destroyed. It was run by a king who eventually was going to he was going to be finished. And so they made the right choice. They swapped rulers and they swapped kingdoms. And notice here in verse 2 that David became their captain. Verse 2 says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? He became captain over them. What a bunch. Farmers, herdsmen, shepherds, vine dressers. Who would have thought that this lot, the bankrupt, the beaten, the broken, who would have thought this lot would have become such a great army for David? And he taught them and trained them how to use the arrows and the bows and the spears and the javelins, the sword. And not only that, Second Samuel 23 tells us that some of David's mighty men his greatest warriors, they also came and joined him. You know, I'm sure at the start when it was his brothers and his mother and his father and 400 others, and I'm sure he looked and thought, how am I going to take on Saul with this lot? But he was greatly encouraged that they came at all, and he was greatly encouraged when his mighty men started to come. And what an encouragement for the whole camp. Who were these mighty men? Adino, who slew 800 men in one day. He was some warrior. Shammah, who defended a field of lentils and killed many Philistines all by himself. Eliezer, son of Dodo, who fought until his hand claved to his sword, it says. And Abishiah, who threw, slew 300 with a spear. And Benaiah, who slew two lion-like heroes of Moab. <laughs> These were great Moab warriors, and he slew both of them. And he slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> this man would take on anything or anybody. Imagine fighting a lion in a pit on a snowy day. That would be some fight, wouldn't it? So David now is surrounded, and now he's got some mighty men and he becomes their captain Hebrews 2 and 10 says that Christ is the captain of our salvation who would have thought it that when Jesus called those fishermen and tax collectors and zealots who were the paramilitaries of the day who would have thought that out of that small band but grow a great army of believers all over the world that today is the largest religious movement on the face of the earth. Hmm. Who would have thought it? And then finally, 
David became their safety. The very last verse of 1 Samuel 22, verse 23, the very last verse, here's what it says. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. Isn't that lovely? But with me you shall be safe. David knew that he was rightful ruler over the land. He knew that God would honor his word and his promise and that he would rule that land. Even though he had only a small band, he knew what was going to happen. He had the assurance in his heart. So he says, stick with me. You'll be safe. I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. Everything's going to be all right. That's a comforting word, isn't it? And that's what Jesus says to us. Stay with me and you shall be safe. He that abides under the shadow of the Almighty, what does it tell us about it? Psalm 93. Isn't it a great psalm? I will say of the Lord, He's my fortress. <laughs> Psalm 93, I haven't time to read, it's a wonderful, Psalm 91, sorry, I should say, is a wonderful psalm. Great encouraging psalm. John 10, 28 and 29, here's what it says in closing. These are the words of Jesus. And I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Hmm. Aren't you glad tonight you're on David's side? Aren't you glad David's on your side tonight? Stay with me, he said, and you will be safe. Jesus said, no one will pluck you out of my hand. I'll keep you safe. I look after your life. And those of us tonight have put our lives into the hands, the nail-pierced hands of Christ can testify that he has looked after us, hasn't he? And he's blessed us. And he's kept us all these years. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that even though at this present moment that you're out of our sight. You're not here on the earth right now. But one day, and one day soon you will come back. You have promised that you will return. You even showed us where you would return. So Lord, we thank you that the kingdom belongs to you. The earth is the Lord's and the footstool thereof. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that we belong to you tonight. That we have trusted you. That we have thrown in our lot with you. We have said yes to your rulership. Yes to your kingship. 
yes to your lordship. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And so as we follow you the rest of the days of our lives, knowing, Lord, that your kingdom will come, knowing, Lord, that you will reign on this earth, and your promise is that we would reign with you. So we give you thanks for that. Lord, bless this incoming week, wherever we may be, whatever we may be going through, we pray that your hand will be with us, that we'll know your nearness with us, that we'll sense, Lord, that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, your promise is you'll be with us always. And so thank you for this incoming week. We pray that our lives will be godly examples to those around us so that Christ may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.